0: learned about the Enneagram from a smart friend of mine. He talked to me about the Enneagram probably 10-15 years ago and encouraged me to check it out. Okay. About five years ago, I had a real family crisis. Uh, it's funny how ego type nines, our worst fear is conflict, but I, I had a pretty major conflict in my life that was a tipping point for me. Our mentor and teacher, uh, Dr. Joseph Howe, would call it a critical mass of suffering, and I think i had had just about as much as I could take.
1: Hey folks this is art wimberly your host on how's that working for you i'm a person grateful to be a long-term recovery and also someone who is interested in looking at life through the lens of the enneagram And as usual, we have uh, a guest in our studio this morning, Nanette Moodium. Nanette? Yes, it's so nice
0: to be with you, Art. Thanks for having me here.
1: Thanks for making the trip in from Anniston, Alabama. I did. Where you are, let me see if I've got this exactly correct, the executive director of St. Michael's Medical Clinic. That
0: is absolutely correct.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm. great. All right, so tell me a little bit, and you would also... For the folks listening out there that are interested in Enneagram, you would identify as Ego Type 9.
0: I do. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh So
1: tell me, give us a little history about when did you first encounter the Enneagram?
0: I learned about the Enneagram from a a smart friend of mine that I really enjoyed because he's a Type 5. And you know 9s and 5s, we kind of have a similar energy field. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talked to me about the Enneagram probably 10, 15 years ago, and encouraged me to check it out. Uh, and and But I never really did. Uh, and then about, I w- I've only been in Enneagram work for about five years now. Okay. About five years ago, I had a real family crisis. Uh, it's funny how ego type nines, our worst fear is conflict, and yet I found myself in the middle of I find myself in the middle of conflict quite kind a bit. Kind of hard to
1: avoid them <laughs> if you actually live life. It's hard to live avoid life
0: or, with, without right, conflict, right? right so, yeah. But I I had a pretty major conflict in my life that um, was a tipping point for me. Uh, our our mentor uh, and and teacher, uh, Dr. Joseph Howell, would would call it um, a critical mass of suffering. And I, I think I had had just about as much as I could take so I actually taught I I actually sought dr. Howell out um, because he's a, he's a psychologist and I wanted to sit down and talk to someone about it um, besides my family members because my <laughs> family members were the source of the conflict, conflict. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Bummer. and so uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I talked it out with him and I'll never forget him saying after our very first session Nanette you may be the first person who came in here and told me every one side of the story (laughs) (laughs) because I, as an ego type nine, we, we often do, we can see things from other people's perspective. And I, I knew the tales of my other members, family members. And so, um, I, I did uh, make some real progress with Dr. Howe, but one of the days I came into his office for an appointment and there was a flyer hung up in his waiting room about an, uh, a conference on mm-hmm. the Enneagram. And I remembered my friend um, who always encouraged me to... to um, to learn more about the Enneagram. And I, I just thought, well, mental note, that's, that conference is only two weeks away and probably too late, but I should talk to Dr. Hal about that. Well, at the end of that day's session, he said, you know, Nanette, I really don't think you need me. I really think you need the wisdom of the Enneagram. And in fact, I have a conference in two weeks, and would you like to come? And it was just the universe pointing me right. in the right direction. Yeah. And I did show up, um, at St. Mary's in Suwannee, Tennessee. Um, I took my husband along with me or he went along with me cause he was afraid of what I was getting into. <laughs> and, um, and the rest is just kind of in history for me. I, yeah. I stayed with the Institute for conscious being, um, Dr. Howe's organization, yeah. um, and went through all the programs and, um, Scholars, masters, deepening yeah. roots—the the path for us.
1: As a matter of fact, in the last uh, scholars uh, and masters and deepening roots offsite intensive, uh, you taught mm-hmm. the group that I was in because that's actually where I met you and si, your husband, yes. about four years ago. Yes, going through and I went through the same track, and mm-hmm. now I'm back in a cohort with you guys, and you got to come teach us a little bit, yes, which was yes. very. Yeah, you did a great job. Thank as a matter you. of fact, Thank yeah. You. So okay, so that was about five years ago, uh, and I like you have continued to stay with Dr. Howell mm-hmm. in the Institute for not only for the training, but for the relationships that have developed over over those years. Absolutely, whether yeah. Whether in Alabama or outside mm-hmm. of Alabama,
0: it's about community for me. It's yeah. it's about a, a, a shared um, group of values and perspectives on the world and. And, uh, and of course, we talk about much more than the Enneagram. Right. Uh, we, we talk a lot about consciousness and, and what it means to move in the world, um, hopefully in, in the power of our soul rather than the traps of our personality. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, um, okay, so there's the commonality there. And even that, um, the way you phrased that where he saw, oh, you don't even need me so much as a psychologist. I think the Enneagram will open things up at yeah. a deeper level for you. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So let's go back and get some story because you haven't always been the executive director of Saint Michael's no, Medical Clinic, no, right? I haven't. Although you do have a medical background, right? I you, do. I'm a
0: registered nurse. I right. went to uh, uh, to UAB.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I did that later in life. Um, I, I did that. Uh, I I felt. I don't know. I, I, I really felt a calling at about 30 years old um, to go to nursing school. And it was shocking to everyone who knew me because I had never had a desire to work in the medical field. Um, I have no one medical in my family. And so when I said I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to become mm-hmm. a nurse, everyone was a little bit shocked. But I really, I don't know, I, I something in me knew a destiny for me that I was not aware of at that time. So I I went to I registered um, and went to UAB. I commuted from Anniston uh, because I because it has a very um, well respected mm-hmm. uh, program nationally, and I wanted that. And, uh, and, and that was an interesting path for me, although I will say that when I graduated from UAB, I still wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with nursing. That was in 2006. And... Um, and so I worked in a couple of outpatient clinics. One thing I realized is I didn't like hospital work. I really liked relationships um, ongoing with patients. I liked awake and alert patients. <laughs> um, I liked to work in the community and in yeah. education. And so I... Um, I, I, as it happens, I went to a graduation at uh, Jacksonville State University, closer to home, and there was one student, I actually went to support another student who was graduating, um, somebody I knew and loved, and, um, but another student was graduating in uh, that day with a master's in community health nursing, and I thought, hmm, I, I could do that. And the next semester I was enrolled in that program and it was very, it, it was really Providence because in that program is actually what led me to St. Michael's. Um, I, I was at a social event and someone knew I was going to school for this master's degree and she said, Nanette, don't you have clinicals that you have to do for that? And I said yes, and I had a program that I was planning on working out, um, but she convinced me to do otherwise. She said, can you please come be the director of St. Michael's? They had never had an executive director before. And the school, um, JSU, Jacksonville State University, allowed me um, to do that as my project for school. And um, after the project was over, I stayed. And uh, I I really, I, I actually think all of nursing really led me to this. It was yeah. actually what I was supposed to do.
1: Yeah. Well, I keep hearing the thread of community mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. everything you've said, which big for any of us, any type, but especially for nines, right? This yes. Kind of this idea of the Uh, almost a God-given urge to bring people to the table and help keep them there.
0: It's true. In a
1: healthy way. It's true. So so I want to go deeper into that in a few minutes before we close because I want to talk about your – a lot of folks that come in here have an addiction or a recovery story. And you know you not so much. That's Mm -hmm. not that's not really part of the story. Although uh, even those of us that come through some of the traditional twelve step groups have to learn that below whatever addiction got us into the rooms, there was an addiction to ego. So we have that in common, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Working through (laughs) that and an
0: addiction to caffeine. I Uh, mean, like all you have to do is fast and realize you have some sort of addiction. You know.
1: So, and, 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 you know, we've shared before, it's not that you don't, haven't been touched by addiction mm. in friends or family, but that's still not your biggest story. Part of what I want to talk about later though, is where addiction and recovery touches you through St. Michael's mm-hmm. and how y'all are working, especially with a disadvantaged population. Yes. Okay. Yes. But let's go back even further than that, because there were some things that shaped you before nursing school, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. had, you had, uh, you went to college way back, back in the, I like did. the typical times, yes. right? 18, yes. 19, yes. yes. And that was a commute as well to Birmingham. Yeah, right? Well,
0: I actually, I, I was a freshman at, at Samford university in in 1989, <laughs> Um, not to date myself. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, 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 you know, I came here via a long route. I pretty much grew up in New Orleans. I spent the last few years of my high school in San Diego. Um, my mom and I ha- took a little adventure and moved back to the West coast wh- where my mom was originally from. Um, and my dad is a Southerner. My mom is a West uh, coast native. So, um, uh, so I came back from San Diego to here to go to school. My dad lives um, here in Alabama and is what brought me here. And um, so I come, I arrive at Sanford university and I've had um, quite a different background than most of the students that arrive at Sanford Sanford university. Um, But I am very, I will say I grew up with a, a, with a very evangelical background and um, very passionate about God in my own way at that stage of, of, of growth and spiritual development. Um, I was actually even um, a a religion major, Mm -hmm. uh, which is interesting um, at Samford um, as an evangelical at a Baptist university that was fairly conservative in 1989 and 90 when I was there. Um, And so, but had a series of really um, disappointing events and, you know, didn't have the maturity to handle it and really just kind of Um, I would say had a few trigger points and, uh, really kind of lost my mind for a little while to tell you the truth and, Mm -hmm. um, and ended up at the end of my, uh, freshman year of college, I was pregnant and with someone I was really not, um, in a, in a real relationship Mm -hmm. with, um, he nor I were really emotionally or, um, spiritually or any other way ready to have a child. Although, you know, um, when you are pregnant, you're the one who it basically falls to. So, um, I did, I did figure it out and I did grow up. Um, and so I was, uh, prepared and able to do that on my own, really with the support of a family who, although was dysfunctional, um, Mm had the financial means. My dad owned a business um, at, that had done fairly well at that time and was he was at least able to employ me. And so that really was beneficial to me, obviously because I had a way to support myself.
1: Yeah, you, you had the resources in place mm-hmm. that kind of ironically to when we fl- when we flash forward later, you're gonna be talking about a community. That typically doesn't have that type of resource, right? right? Exactly. So that's kind of a part of your story, the heart for that, right? Right. So okay. So for those out there listening, they're hearing your last name of Moodium, Mm -hmm, right? Yeah. And we're going, you know, that's not particularly an Alabama Southern name. Yeah. No. So tell us how you got to be married to um, that man. So because
0: of this business of my dad's, he um, had hired an engineer um, out of Auburn who was originally from India. who, uh, who unbeknownst to me at the time, would become my husband. His name is Sai. Yeah. Um, he's from Hyderabad, India. Um, graduate of uh, of Auburn. Yeah, we'll get <laughs> we'll get back to that later. <laughs> uh, yes. So um, uh, I I I have um, uh, some uh, affinity, obviously, for Auburn because of that. But in, in any case, um, he uh, came to work for my dad, and really, we had we were just friends. I think because of have my background and growing up in multicultural um, communities, both in New Orleans and in San Diego, um, I was much more comfortable with, with different types of people. And honestly, in in the space and time we were at in Munford, Alabama, really, you know, no one could yeah. really differentiate between black and white. And that's about it, you know, yeah, literally. That's true. Yeah. Um,
1: much more provincial back then. Yes. Yeah. And
0: so, um, you know, uh, during the time that I came home and started working for my dad. Sai uh, and I just had a deepening friendship. Sai um, was really good friends with my oldest brother and didn't have a lot of um, support in the community. There were not a lot of other Indians in Little Anniston, Alabama at that time. Uh, most of the ones that were there were physicians, and he was an engineer and single. And um, just through a, a a long series of events and a very long story. Um, I, um, uh, Cy and I ended up together and um, that was really neither of our plans um, and it did prove to be quite controversial um, for Sai more than me, um, considering that Sai came from a culture that still arranged marriages, and his parents weren't exactly expecting a 20-year-old unwed <laughs> white, yeah. uneducated woman to come into Sai's life. Yeah, it wasn't
1: part of the plan. <laughs> it for
0: was not the plan. Yeah, and uh, it was quite devastating, and and was a lot for us to navigate, particularly in 1990 at that time. Well, by by the time Time that happened, it was ninety one, yeah. and uh, that was a it was a tough thing to navigate. And also, you know, biracial marriages in in Alabama at that yeah. time were still you know a thing to be stared at. Right. And, so um,
1: you were really kind of uh, it was complicated from both directions. Oh, it was complicated from, from both families, yes. and, and yeah. I guess you could say, f- in in some sense, from both edges there was some sort of religious tip from both sides that was complicated.
0: Yes, definitely. I mean, um, Cy was not a Christian, you know, and and honestly. I I
1: love the part of your story where you talked about as a as a uh, a pregnant unwed person, yes, that you I'm were going to evangelize, you're going to evangelize <laughs> this guy from India. It's true. Yeah. I,
0: I made I, I'm you know nine months pregnant, but I think Cy needs to get saved. You <laughs> yeah, know? I love that. You know, yeah. My life is a moral disaster, and so it's my family. But I'm dragging inside to church because he's a Hindu, and he's going to go to hell if yeah, I don't it, get him saved. There you go. You yeah. know, and so. Um, you know, we actually so I did have an encounter with Jesus, and yeah. um, does uh, would call himself a Christian at this point in his life. But uh, obviously, it was a much different path and revelation than I had uh, come. Yeah too so yeah it i i and i and i want to make a point of saying my family was very supportive of my marriage to Sai. i think that they thought he was good for me <laughs> and you might solve some of their problems you yeah, know yeah. um and so uh it, Cy is obviously a great engineer and very yeah. loved and celebrated in my family right
1: and and Sai identifies as ego type or, or enneagram type six
0: that's correct yes. which is
1: interesting too mm-hmm. uh for those of you sitting out there listening, you know, sometimes you'll hear on our podcast, we'll talk about the idea of when folks get together in a relationship. are they somewhere in the triad together Uh and uh you guys are as sixes and nines Uh and most sixes tend to be pretty stable folks Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the fact that he was an engineer kind of even lends itself to that thing too so you could kind of see where families say well this could be a stabilizing Mm -hmm, influence mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah and i mean they're obviously they're very supportive of the group yeah you know he He's very supportive of my family and its business. Very loyal. And very loyal. Very, very loyal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That loyalty even extended, I think you shared once, to the fact that uh, to honor his parents Mm -hmm. and and their traditions – that y'all had to put your marriage off. Yes, I mean,
0: uh, you know, obviously Sai's si- parents weren't too excited about this um, occurrence in Sai's life when he called to say, I'm not going to marry the girl you've arranged me to, and in fact, I'm going to marry this, you know, <laughs> my boss's daughter. Yeah, are you, is, 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 are you sitting down? Are you sitting down, exactly. Well, his mother didn't sit down for long. She got on a plane, she'd never been on one before, and flew herself to America yeah. and and basically told me I was not going to marry her son. And um, Sai, through his love and honor and persistence to his parents, but also his um, devotion to me, really said, how can I navigate this? What do I have to do um, to get your blessing? And basically they said, you've... You've got to wait till the girl you jilted gets married. Your brother, yeah. younger brother needs to get married. Your sister's wedding <laughs> needs to be finalized. And if, if all of that, if happens, you're still alive, then <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if all of that happens within a year, you can marry her. Yeah. And so, um, a, a year and a half later, um, he not only married me, but he he adopted um, my daughter yeah. and has raised her as his own. Yeah. Um, we since had another uh, child together, yeah. so yeah, we've had a really beautiful life. And and size parents are incredible people and um, loved me and have been so very good to me. So I'm I'm it, it just. Providence. All I can say is, you know, yeah. it was just God's grace and providence yeah, to me. And
1: he's is one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Uh, he, Getting he, to know you guys as a couple, but as individuals, he, uh, when we get to go off site for the training's just been such a blessing. Yeah, he's yeah. he's
0: a he's an extraordinary individual. Yep, he is.
1: Absolutely. So okay, so that kind of brings us back up to the period you guys got married, mm-hmm. he adopted your daughter, mm-hmm. y'all have another child. And then you surprise everybody by like, oh, you know, I think I'm gonna change some things here. Yeah. And got your degree and yes, then moved yes. over and and then eventually ended up at Saint Michael's, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, I um I read a book uh, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or more called um, The Power to Change the World. And there's no need to read it. I can tell you in one line what it said. The power to change the world starts in your backyard. And I I, obviously, I had, as a, as a young person, had actually wanted to be a missionary. Um, I was always very interested in travel and passionate about travel and other cultures. And then, you know, my life didn't go as no one's does, according mm-hmm. to plan. Um, so I end up married. I stay home for many years raising our two children. and um, but I'm still really passionate. I'm passionately involved in a in in a large congregation at that time in Aniston and I really wanted to change the world, you know, with God's love and goodness. And what I realize uh, you know we tried, We made some attempts both in India and and other places that we worked. But at the end of the day, um, I realized that I don't culturally really understand what it's like to be anybody but somebody with my own experiences as an American for the most part. And hopefully as um, someone who sees herself as a universal citizen, but at the same time recognizes my language Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my experience, um, uh, what has brought me to this stage in life. And what I realized is if I'm going to be most impactful, it's probably going to be working in my own backyard, wow. which happens to be in West Anniston um, yeah. in my own community.
1: So tell us a little bit about St. Michael's mm-hmm. and uh, how it's expanded over the years and what you guys do okay. in the communities that you serve.
0: Well, um, the the Church of Saint Michael and All Angels, an Episcopal Church, that was um, founded in 1888 actually started this clinic in 1988. It had several physicians and several passionate people within their congregation who, uh, who had the means and the vision, uh, to start a clinic. Uh, it was started by, um, several people, but the, the, the first medical director, his name was, um, Dr. Buddy Knupp, and he, um, I had the privilege of working with him before he actually retired, and so it kind of came full circle for me. Uh, but they started this, and honestly, the clinic has taken on a number of iterations mm. over the last um, thirty plus years of its history. Um, they ran with medical students in the beginning, and 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 worked in. The clinic had different hours and different manifestations over the years, so it it worked some with the health department in in West Anniston, and and then eventually they got some funding that allowed them to employ a nurse practitioner, which they did, uh, for a... Uh, A four-day clinic week, which was pretty much a full-time clinic, but it really fell into a certain amount of apathy, mostly because sometimes when you have funding and you don't have to work for it, you don't have to produce numbers and don't have to uh, 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 give real account for it, sometimes things just can kind of you know, mm, go to in. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of what happened. And it was a ministry that had, um, at one time been thriving, um, in that it had a lot of participation by the congregation, but as the congregation aged and as those who were passionate about it, didn't quite have the same stamina, um, to work in the clinic, it just it it just kind of was a church ministry that started had started to fizzle out, yeah. and they really they felt like it was important to separate as a separate nonprofit from the church, both for the sake of the church and the clinic, um, liability and whatnot, and then also they they decided that they needed to either, uh, you know, like make it really professional, like a real nonprofit, yeah. or to close it. Yeah. And so that I came in at the ba- about the same time, they diversified the board, they, um, the they limited the number uh, of church um, members who were in the board, they reached out more to the community. Mm-hmm. And it was at that time that I came. So
1: in addition to your nursing and medical background, mm-hmm. um, what qualities do you think and you can kind of look at it through the lens of a night if you mm-hmm, want to. Mm-hmm. Did you bring to the executive director's role or what's become apparent over
0: time? Yeah, well... I, I, I really I felt wholly unprepared to be an executive director. Well, I, I was going <laughs> to you know? say it's
1: not exactly like you normally equate type nine with director, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. but there are some qualities yes, that can come yeah. into play.
0: Well, we we are good at bringing people together. Right. I, I am good at seeing what other people do better than me and yeah. empowering them to do that. And um, I did have a lot of um. Exposure to ministry because I had served uh, actively in a large congregation for 20 years as a leader and as a teacher, Uh, so I'm I'm was comfortable with communicating with large groups of people and with um, moving those people towards um uh, towards effective um leadership and um, uh, getting projects going, I had done that as a volunteer. And I, I really do love and care about people. And I think people have a right to health care. And uh, it was all, I brought a, a, a lot of experience that did, in fact, help me. So some of my connections with my church helped me um, in, in, in organizing volunteers. Uh, and that was good. Of course, the Church of St. Michael's was a, a big support to me. And I, I reached, I connected with the right people. I joined the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics right off. And that was a lot of wisdom. I spoke with other people who worked in clinics across the state. Yeah. And I just started learning what I didn't know, which was a lot. You know, I I realized that there were a lot of missing pieces because it had been run like a ministry rather than a nonprofit and, and nonprofits obviously are something different. So I learned my schooling, obviously, uh, um, I had written a lot and done a lot of work as a student, and that really helped prepare me to be a grant writer, uh, and, yeah. and my communication skills helped me with that. And so uh, I, I started grant writing, and some people helped me and mentored me yeah. a bit in that. And all of that just led to, to where I am now, which is um, kind of comfortable in the role, to be honest. Yeah.
1: And uh, again, I'm hearing a theme of collaboration, mm-hmm. community, bringing people together. Yes. Um, okay. I know some things, but there's people that probably know more about certain things. Yes. How do I get them on board and mm-hmm. volunteerism? And that's fantastic. What's, um, what's the, uh, if you had to say, here's the community we tend to serve the most, how mm-hmm. would you describe that community?
0: Um, it's a very diverse community um, it is I, I do serve quite a number of people uh, as I think I've told you uh, we serve a large population who are in rehabs um, so uh, quite a uh, quite a number of people who are struggling with addiction um, we serve other vulnerable populations but we we, we say that we serve um all of the uninsured and low income in, uh, residents of Calhoun County. Okay. And so that does include some undocumented residents um, yeah. because they are living in our community. Right. And much of my staff is bilingual. Um, I myself am not, but uh, so we serve quite a number of them. And then just other individuals in our community that are struggling who find themselves. Who are low income and uninsured, and some of that is uh, people who are the working poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may have a job where they don't have benefits through right. their employment, um, or they may be homeless. We serve a, a a lot of people with mental health issues, obviously who who have who have a real struggle not only with managing their life but in their employment and yeah. income, and and need access to healthcare services.
1: Yeah. So okay. Um, As you said, a pretty diverse clientele Mm -hmm. is coming in. But it's almost like you guys are at the nexus almost of what's going on in the culture as a whole in this country in terms of uh, where people that maybe before never had a need all of a sudden have a need. Mm -hmm. But also you have... Folks that are undocumented, Mm -hmm. that are living in our community and providing, and actually probably working, right? Yes. Providing some type of... Of course, that's why they're here. Exactly. Uh uh, But are kind of shut out from some of the things that citizens can get to. Yes. Um, So does that present a problem in terms of either funding or in terms of pushback by community or any. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: well, you, you actually hit on a a very complicated issue because, you know, we, we live in a very conservative, if I might be so bold as to say red Republican state where, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of touch point issues in our culture that tend to be so divisive. And, but we really, unfortunately lack understanding uh, about, about health care we we have assumptions that are that are incorrect and and the first one is many people say to me well don't we have obamacare you know and didn't that give health care to everybody and you know and don't those illegal immigrants you know they have they have too many services and blah 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 you know there's a you know mm. the, the a stigma attached the, to it uh, absolutely but the truth is is that undocumented individuals have access to no healthcare services outside of the emergency room yeah. and they typically don't use the emergency room. Um, they really don't, not in large numbers, because yeah. um, they are going to pay their bill, and they they are worried about those bills. So they they and they're worried about being turned in, or mm-hmm. they have their own fears that right. really keep them so often under the radar, and so they they don't really access healthcare services, and yet they need them. Um, I, I'm always and and, and i I'm. I don't want to offend anyone, but I'm always amazed at the people who don't want illegals here, if you want to call it like that. Yeah. Um, but they sure do want somebody to cut their yard, right. you know, and I'm just, you know, we, uh, in my personal opinion, we need, um, we need some sort of work visa. They do. We know that probably 14 to 20 million of them live here in the country and they do help our economy to run, but that's a whole nother issue. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that they don't access services. If their children right. are born here, obviously yep. they use the school system. And, you know, their children may have access to um, uh, all kids in the state of Alabama, which is Medicaid for children. But um, children who are not born here have no access to all kids. Um, The state of Alabama really limits its services to undocumented residents. So, and then if we think about Obamacare or um, the Affordable Care Act, as it actually is, Really, you have to make about $11,500, $11, somewhere in there, of documented income to even be able to apply. Mm. So if you don't have, if, if you are the caretaker for your sick mother, and, you know, she pays for the house, and you guys kind of live off of her Social Security or whatever, right. but you're her full-time caretaker, and you don't have a documented income, yeah. or... Um, Um, Then you can't even apply, you know, uh, there, there, you know, there's
1: another loophole there. There's a whole, there are,
0: there are a half a million um, uninsured adults in the state of Alabama.
1: Half a million. Half a million. Wow. And if they're uninsured, their children, unless they were born here, yes. they might not be qualified for something yes. either. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Wow.
0: So, well, and and those 500,000 are primarily adults. You know, we have, I don't remember the exact statistic, but we have like a million people on Medicaid in the state of Alabama, which is mostly people who really are disabled, um, and then that is the All Kids program. Yeah. Um, we we. You know, we have some staggering statistics in Alabama, and I want to say, how's that working for us? You know, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know. Yeah. um, We we might need some change. Right,
1: and I I guess it's encouraging to some extent. We're starting to hear different conversations Mm -hmm. about it. I don't know how far we're progressing, but we seem to at least be having. Different voices in the conversations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I know you guys are right at the tip of the spear. Yeah, what you have to do. You attended. You mentioned that organization that mm-hmm. you joined early on. Yeah, and I think you just attended a conference I did, I did. What were some of the things you were hearing there? Because that's a that's more of a national type. Yes. Conference,
0: well, I mean, we we have enormous challenges in how health, in healthcare, and that that is. When you get involved in the nonprofit world in healthcare, then you realize the intersection of life and politics, yeah. and that politics are. Uh, you know unfortunately really i'm i, I i'm not a democrat or a, a republican i'm one of those strange enigmas in alabama called an independent yeah. and i call myself an independent because i really believe that the truth is in the tension yes. you know it's, yeah. we're
1: holding the two opposites right for i a mean while. like yeah. the
0: left hasn't solved anything because if you I, I, look i i i love the roots that i have in california but if the left could solve things then you know california would have done it already
1: yeah.
0: um and if the right could solve it well all of the south would be thriving but it is not right. um if we're honest and so neither neither party has the truth um it is somehow in compromise it is somehow in the in collaboration that yeah. i think we come to real solutions and mm. i i get really tired of of um discussions about problems. The reason I love the National Association of Free and Charitable Clinics is because we show up with solutions. Like I can't solve all the problems of the world. Um, I can't solve world hunger or or the problems of our environment or the problems of healthcare, but I can give 1,500 people in my city free healthcare to as best as I can, the best quality care that I can, I can give it to them for free um, because of the grants that we find, but it's still very economical care. Um, We're so... you know, I can, I can make the changes that I can make, I can do what I yep. can do. And I feel like if we would all look for what we could do, literally to make the world a better place, in, we'd our, backyard. Solve, in our own backyard, we'd yeah. solve a lot of our problems. But yeah. instead, we, we sit in the stands and we say, well, that's not right. You know, we judge, well, the as you game. said,
1: too many arguments over problems, yes. rather than focusing yes. on where solutions and
0: and, yeah. a, and a left and a right, you know, yeah. if, if, right, you know, the
1: polarization is just gonna Polarization, worse.
0: you know, I'm against abortion. I'm for abortion. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm against immigration. I'm, I'm for immigration. You know, it's, right. it's, uh, the, it's, it's for me. And maybe this is the, the type nine. I can just see that neither side is, is. It, there's a lot of gray in, yeah. in real solutions. Yeah. Um. It's just most things are not black and white. Right. They're just not.
1: Yep. Um one of that subset of population you guys deal with, you mentioned earlier, was folks that may have been coming out of a rehabilitation clinic mm-hmm. or in a rehabilitation environment. Yes. And so we're talking about folks that have or are currently struggling with substance use disorder at some level, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, often, though, I think, would you say that you find there's a mental health issue absolutely involved? Is yes. that where y'all can kind of come in and help a little yes, bit? Yes, yes. Yeah?
0: Well, uh, many... I. Well, the first thing is, is that when people come into recovery, they, they begin to realize again um, that they have health issues that they've been ignoring. You know, if you've been, you know, in in addiction for you know you just mm-hmm. you, you your whole focus you're neglecting a lot you're neglecting of, right. everything your relationships right. your health your
1: and by that time you may have already lost all the resources if you ever had any
0: absolutely right. so right. you know if if you if you go into the court system if you end up in jail you you lose your Medicaid if, if you had it so mm-hmm. um you you come out and you realize you've you you're hypertensive and you, you're or maybe you you're diabetic and you've been ignored we're in that. Um, and and maybe you have other health issues. Maybe you have hep C. Maybe if we're honest, you have a venereal disease that you've mm-hmm. been ignoring. And we need to address that. And so we believe that um, that people have a right to health care and that in seeking recovery, that they should begin to work on their health. So we we are very receptive to them without judgment to begin that process of taking care of their physical health. But it does involve their emotional health. And obviously quite a number of them are bipolar uh, there they have depression mm-hmm. they they have these uh, they they have these the same things that afflict all of us absolutely yeah, right. and 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 maybe they've been managing it th- with their addiction with alcohol or yeah, drugs in right. some way um and and we try we try to address that and so we um we work with them in in a whole hopefully holistic manner to treat them spiritually emotionally and physically at the clinic right. so um it, it it it's a it's an enormous need of of course we we um We have so much addiction in Calhoun County and uh, I, I, it, my heart really does break for people who end up in a system that really is ill prepared to bring them through a whole process of recovery because you see people in these cycles of rehabs, you Mm -hmm. know, they're, they're in, they, they're in jail, you know, they want to get out of jail and they end up in, in, rehab and then they cycle through that rehab and don't really get the healing that they fundamentally need um emotionally spiritually and then they end up in the cycle all over again so it it is um it is really sad and something that my staff and i feel very passionate about so how
1: do you guys um the challenge of compassion fatigue, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I'm hearing, how do you yeah. guys, uh, are you proactive with you and your staff about mm. battling that or trying to yeah. head that well, off? Well,
0: I I think, you know, there's still a lot of um, reward and joy in what we do. Um, I think, in, in um, yeah, the work is rewarding in that we are really making um, – healthcare available we have the ability to navigate and champion the healthcare system and access to it for many of our patients so i think there's enough successes that they do really encourage us yeah. um but also uh, you know the 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 ongoing dreaming that we do uh, about what we want the the future of the clinic to be also encourages us um One thing that we all feel very compelled to work on is the trauma that our patients, whether they're uh, an undocumented immigrant or someone coming out of a rehab or in recovery, um, is that we fundamentally know that many people are sick because of trauma. Mm. And so our clinic has some expansion plans that we will be enacting um, late 2023. And in that, we plan on having a day which is which is entirely devoted to mental health. Um, we, we're working on names right now, uh, uh, maybe Wellness Wednesday or something. Yeah. But w- there's a lot of therapy that uh, that patients really don't have access to, yeah. whether group therapy, talk therapy, music therapy. And we, we want to give our patients access to that. So we're working on plans for that. I, I
1: don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's just being published this month Uh, kind of a groundbreaking book from some professionals that combines the work of Enneagram consciousness and trauma.
0: No, I didn't know that. I'll send you the link. You you
1: guys may want to look at that. Absolutely. There are two professionals in the field that have gotten together. uh, One is a therapist. The other actually, I think, is an MD. And they have written a book from their own experience over decades with not only with clients, but their Mm -hmm. own consciousness work with Enneagram and they're moving that together to start the conversation about trauma and how to use Enneagram with that.
0: Yes, well, I you know, in my own obviously I I I, I know what all the ego types of my staff are. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have discussions about about this and obviously I would like to teach the Enneagram may, maybe in some format to some yeah. of our patients because I realize with my with 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 the benefits of my life, of my, my family's business, my husband's education, my own education, what I have had access to that unfortunately so many of my patients have not. And so I, I recognize I've I've been the beneficiary of these things. And how can I get these blessings to my patients? How can I get the work of consciousness and the, the the simple realization that you have an ego type and it may have its traps. And that may be some of what you've been struggling with. Yeah, because it's
1: easy. I think from the outside looking in from a caricature of Enneagram to think that this is, some like a highfalutin, uh, a white man's uh, who has plenty of money and time to go on vacation, right, right, right. But there really is a depth to this when, when it's when you get off the pop level right, that right. actually can help individuals begin to thrive uh, and to help other people to well, thrive. Well, I don't as well. know
0: much about it, but I know that, you know, on the West Coast they have the Enneagram Prison Project and they have taken the Enneagram into prisons. Do you know something? Oh, about I it? was just fixing to yeah. tell you one of our yeah. one
1: of my best friend who's also on the podcast is uh, I I got him connected to the one of the founders of Enneagram Prison Project. And he's actually, I, I just talked to him this morning. Wow. In fact, he's cramming for one of his exams. Uh, he's in the third phase of the training because prior to the pandemic, he he was ministering to people in prison here okay. in Donaldson, one of the wow. worst, Okay. and uh, to do 12-step group. And then he went through one of the Enneagram and 12-step groups we did here in Birmingham a few years ago and got inspired by that. And uh, so he is... He's currently finishing up, uh, hoping that he'll be the first Enneagram EPP person, uh-huh. Enneagram Prison Project in Alabama. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, although, although his first experience with a prison may actually come outside of Alabama, where it's already approved. It's harder, okay. so mm-hmm. they're not sure they're going when they could get it approved here, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I was actually going to bring that up when yeah. you said that. Yeah, it's it's starting to the Enneagram is starting to pop up, and of course, EPP has been going for quite a while right, now. That, right, right. They, before they, they're incorporated, I think it was 10 years ago, but they were doing it before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I have another friend uh, that I met in recovery who just came back from a convention of uh, uh, recovering folks that are faith-based in, uh, they held it in Dallas, there was 3,000 people. And one of the speakers starts talking about why. Now, you know, if you're in recovery and you're a seven, you, this step right here may be really hard for you wow. because you're going to have to go through some pain. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. More, and he's like, wait, what? So it's beginning to filter up and into a number of domains mm-hmm. in the world, prison work, recovery work, yes, right? Yes, yes, and You and I have been involved in it, but it's really yes. easy for people from the outside to think, this is a luxury that's not really helping anybody. But I do think it's time has come that it is going to take many people deeper into whatever work they're doing. Yeah, and, I absolutely and, agree yeah, with that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. It,
0: it, well, I, I think there, there is power in truth. Yeah, I mean it is it is real truth that sets us free. It does well, so, and you
1: know, you know uh, the the message. I think that I understand at this stage in my life that Jesus spoke often was about do justice, love mm-hmm. mercy, and mm-hmm. walk humbly. Mm-hmm. Right? He seemed mm-hmm. more more keyed in on that than anything else. Yes. And we tend to get kind of sidelined by the by the secondary issues sometimes, yes. and yes. it gets in the way. Yes. Uh, but con- raising levels of consciousness is not just some new age hokum it is the way we connect to the spirit in a way that does help enable us to as you said to change the world in our own backyard yes yes but you did get away from your backyard right you you have a connection with uh, a deep connection personally Mm. with some folks in the ukraine
0: yes that's that's one of the places i've done some work over the years yeah Yeah. and uh yes currently um I, I would say I have a little piece of my heart in, in Ukraine because I, I, you know, just as it happens when you, when you travel and, and go to place, uh, places you, there are just certain people that you really feel a connection to. So I have a dear friend, um, and, and somebody I've mentored over the last decade, um, who lives, um, in Ukraine. So, and she works in, um, in relief work and uh, obviously is, um, do is very busy right now. And I have, uh, I have wished many times for her to get out of Ukraine during this conflict, but of course, um, she feels compelled to be exactly where she is. So, yeah. And, and I know of a church and, 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 and many people across Ukraine who, who do different ministries, who are, who are obviously, um, having, just an inconceivable unfathomable experience yeah. with this war yeah. just the a shock. Nightmare. Yeah, yeah it is an absolute nightmare yeah. and I, I they're still they're just living in the numbness uh, yeah. of mostly of of, of, I, of disbelief honestly even even 10 months in right you know. well
1: before we close was I want to talk a little bit more about St. Michael's and how people could help or connect or okay. get on board but specifically your connections in ukraine is there a particular group working there that you could say because i know sometimes people want to give yeah and they're like i'm just not sure if it's getting to the right place yeah is there something that you're aware of that you go you know i know what those folks are doing yeah
0: Yeah. and i i should have a website and um be able to tell you something i can i uh, there's a there's a guy in um gadsden alabama who runs a ministry called mercy's hope um, and I, you probably, you probably could g- Google that. I don't Mercy's know Hope. if, if yeah. it's Mercy's or he has a website. And they are giving to the specific group of people that I know and supporting his. He adopted um, a, a daughter out of um, Ukraine, and uh, he, he obviously feels quite a bit yeah. of connection and compassion, um, and has long had a ministry and done work with them. That is who I originally went with and how I met the connection. So, yeah. um, they should be able to give through his organization, and they they do on the ground relief work. They really do, and um, they they've done quite a bit of um, lifting of goods out of the U.S. and gotten them directly um, to them. And it's it's a quality organization, and that w- would definitely be a so good Mercy's, Hope Mercy's, Ho- okay. Mercy's Hope out of Gadsden. Mercy's Hope out of Gadsden.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's close with talk to us a little bit. Folks listening about um, St. Michael's, if somebody wanted to help... Mm What would be some things you could suggest to them?
0: Well, I mean, I love donors, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. know? Um, St. Michael's Medical Clinic dot com or stmclinic.org, if you don't want to type all that out. Um, we we have a donor page and donations where um, I don't have to um, write a grant for or yes. give, write a report for are awesome. Um, yeah, my
1: wife would second that. Yes,
0: because yeah. yes, we, we live for that um, budgetary fund. Um, but, but I'm always looking for volunteer staff, people who, who are interested in working with us, uh, r- r- whether they're medical or not. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we can train almost anyone to run our front desk. And, um, and so I'm, I'm looking for that. I'm, you know, I, sometimes I I recognize that people may have ideas about how they could help us that I haven't thought of yet. So, you know, I'm, I'm in
1: true madness, You're, you're open to everything. I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm
0: open to whatever support I can get. Um, We're always looking for retired um, medical professionals who may have some time to give. We do run with a a physician assistant. She's our lead clinician and sees patients every day, but we're always looking for um, specialist care, um, which is harder to get for our, patients. Uh-huh. We try to do as much for our patient while they're on um, campus with us as possible, because when we leave, we don't know what kind of access they will have to care. And may I just add this, that $1 in my hands is about $14 in healthcare value. Really? So I I take any dollar and multiply it. Wow. So um, we do an impressive amount because we don't have the red tape of insurance and yeah, you know all of uh, billing and and whatnot. We really we really take money and we make it immediately impactful to patients. So we we currently run a three day clinic. It's Wednesday through Friday, Wednesday Thursday Friday, eight a.m. to four p.m. Uh, you if if you want to see me, you do have to be a resident of Calhoun County and bring proof of income and residency to me in order to qualify to be seen by me. But once Um, you're qualified. Um, We will see you for free and help you navigate the healthcare system even if it is beyond our scope of practice.
1: Fantastic. So
0: we plan in 2023 to expand to a five-day operation. And as I mentioned, hopefully... um, to, to expand a fifth day of mental health services. And so I'm definitely looking for people who have mental health, um, training. Um, I'm, I would love a rapid eye therapist, um, or somebody who does EMDR. Um, I, I would like some alternative therapies that we know, um, have, um, are successful at treating deep trauma, um, because most of my patients, if I had to fundamentally say what is the commonality in all of my mm-hmm. patients, it's trauma, yeah. it's real trauma. Um, And I think if we address that, that we may have the greatest impact on not only their health, but on their relationships and on their, their, um, ability to, to produce an income. Yeah. To actually navigate and become uh, more productive in life. Yeah. 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 Because if you're, if you're just broken fundamentally, emotionally, relationally, physically, I I mean, i I'd. I just have so much pity for you because there seems to be no hope for yeah. someone's life without, right. without. And
1: and if you're that. not lucky enough as you and I tend yeah. to be where the resources just happen to be around yes. us, right. Yeah. Then uh, it's so easy to fall through. Fall through system. the cracks. Yeah, yeah. 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 absolutely. Yeah. Which
0: is, which is what we really believe we are at St. Michael's. We believe we're just a safety net. And as much as I can involve, um, uh, both time and talent and money of people who, who um, give to us the the tighter I can make that safety net.
1: Yeah. Well, Annette, it's been wonderful having you up here. Uh, you. Love the work that you're doing at St. Michael's Thank and you. I'm hoping folks out there, somebody's listening. I hope that can either connect themselves to you guys or find the right person to connect for all those needs that you're talking about. And uh, look forward to, uh, let's see, Next intensive would be January, yes, right? Yes, we'll, yes. we'll get to be off-site together. Yes,
0: it's And then wonderful. there are other
1: things in the works for the new year. And I'll get you the link to that trauma Enneagram That, that would too. be terrific. That and, and,
0: uh, and I would also encourage people who, if they want to know more about the Enneagram and uh, a deeper study, you know, please lo- look at the icb.org. Um, that's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. That's our institute that we study with. And we we welcome people to join us.
1: Yep. Uh, we, I'm trying to, well, we're trying to encourage Ronnie here to go, too.
0: Well, so <laughs> encourage uh, with, slash badger slash, Shane, you know. Yeah, what it, right, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, again, thanks for being no, up I here. No, I appreciate you yeah.
0: allowing me to speak up, about things that I'm obviously passionate about. Yeah. And so thanks for having me here. Yeah.
1: Well, folks, uh, please join us next time uh, when we have another intriguing guest on How's That Working For you.